This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study.
Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk this week's Know Your Foe and the Buffalo Bills coming up in a, in a very big matchup in the AFC. Joining me here to talk about his bill are, is Drew Geyer. Drew from uh, uh, Rockpile Report. Right, Drew, how you doing? <laughs> not too bad, Ken. Not too bad. Thanks for having me back. Uh, always a pleasure and, and an animated conversation and, and also a fairly technical one when we get into this, which is great. Uh, our fans love both. And uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you uh, First of all, your Twitter handle. Let's get that out there so folks... You can follow us over at Rockpile Report. That's uh, at Rockpile Report, all one word. It's, uh, it's kind of an homage to the Bills' original stadium when they were founded here. And also, it's like the, the nickname that was given to the section that I have my season tickets in. Huh. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so what was the, the stadium before the current... Ralph Wilson Stadium is that what they call well, it now? It's, well, it's now Highmark Stadium, which I refuse to call it. Okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I will, I'll never call it that. It will be okay. Ralph Wilson Stadium until they inevitably demolish it for a new one. Um, before that, it was War Memorial Stadium. It was near the edge of downtown Buffalo, and it kind of got this name. I think it's uh, what's the name? The the Natural, I believe it was, was actually shot in the stadium. In Buffalo, that's in right, Buffalo. wasn't it? And so they had a baseball diamond, a racetrack, and a football field. And towards the end of its tenure, it was such a dump that people said, ah, it just looks like a big pile of rocks sitting there to go sit in and watch a football game. And so that kind of, you know, Buffalonians being the rust belters that we are, we're like, bah, we love, it might be garbage, but it's our garbage and we love it. So we graciously named it the rock pile. And they, they played there during the Cookie Gilchrist, Gilchrist days in the in the sixties or what? Yes, what did, sir. When did they? Oh yeah. Okay. Back in the sixties into the seventies, and then it was in the eighties that they built originally Rich Stadium after the Rich's hmm. Products, which was one of the biggest companies here at the time. And then Ralph Wilson. It was named after him, probably in the late nineties, early two thousands. Very cool. Okay. Interesting experience. Very much like the old Memorial Stadium here in Baltimore to go to the, the stadium in Buffalo. Residential neighborhood you go through, which very unusual. <laughs> a lot of people asking you to park on their lawn for money, which is which is cool. They're selling you food right on their front lawn. It's it's just a, it's a great football experience. I highly recommend it as a road trip for uh, for Baltimore fans. The next time we're there, hopefully next couple of playoff games are in Baltimore, but maybe during a regular <laughs> season game. All right, so let's get right to it. Uh, biggest offseason changes is always where I start for uh, for the guests. What did the Bills do this offseason aside from acquire Von Miller? Well, this is the thing. So Von Miller gets the flash, right? But the real story here is the defensive line rebuild. Because yeah, it wasn't just Von Miller. It was you brought in Daquan Jones, who at the time, I think a lot of Bills fans looked at and said, okay, that's nice. Okay, you got a, you got a big guy. You got a, a true like one-tech defensive tackle. Then they brought in Jordan Phillips and everyone's ears kind of perked up. They're like, oh, I remember him. He had 12 sacks here. And then they brought in Tim Settle, who everyone got excited about because they're like, well, he seemed like a guy who just couldn't crack a D line in Washington that was stocked with first round draft picks. Wait a minute. We just completely revamped our D line. And then they bring back Shaq Lawson, who has this weird hybrid defensive end, Sam linebacker kind of thing going on. One of the biggest things that you look at that this team failed to do, you go back to that game against the Chiefs, that painful, painful game, which I, I'm going to take a sip of my beer as I talk about it because it's just. <laughs> as they do this, I'll just tell you, these guys, 
are big time drinkers. They've got a bucket of beer in front of you. You can't see this because it's a podcast, but they, they are constantly working through beers as the show goes on. So that Chiefs game, we came close but couldn't seal the deal on Patrick Mahomes so many times. And ultimately, it led to our demise. So going into this season, it was an onus of our front office to say, we need, first of all, we need to be tougher. We need to be tougher against good running, hard-nosed football teams. And also, we need pass rushers who can get home. We need to make sure that our D-line can get there and actually disrupt the quarterback on a regular basis. So they rebuilt the defensive tackle room. They bring in Von Miller, who had a trickle-down effect to our young defensive ends. It was watching him in training camp teaching kids like Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham the nuances of being an NFL pass rusher at a high level and tips and tricks and all these things. The result is that the Bills now have the NFL's highest sack percentage. And What percentage of plays? Do you know? uh, not offhand, no. I saw the stat today and it made me laugh because I said, well, these are one of these wrinkles that the average fan doesn't think about. You say, okay, well, individually, there's no one putting up eye-popping numbers. But this is what you were. This is what you're hoping for. This was the Eagles' defensive line the year that they went and beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl that year, where they had a defensive line that was up there in the upper echelon of the NFL in terms of pressures generated, in terms of run stopping ability, in terms of just getting after the passer. And at the same time, it's not coming from any one source, which makes it incredibly difficult to defend against. I think that was the biggest offseason change that you saw with this roster is that you're also seeing our linebackers. You, know, you as a film study guy, when you watch linebackers play, when there's linemen who can get to that second level, you almost don't, it covers up whatever your linebackers are doing. You can't see them. They're not as visible. You see the linebackers popping off tape for the Buffalo Bills this year. And it's because it's incredibly difficult for offensive linemen to get to that second level in the first place. So they're just running around making splash plays. Matt Milano, during that Monday Night Football game, national television in front of everyone, had his first pick six of his career. This is becoming a more common thing. Our linebackers are really having great seasons, but it's a byproduct of that defensive line rebuild. All right. Outstanding stuff. So uh, key injuries currently coming into the game? How long do you want this podcast to be? Well, hey, the Ravens got a few too, so we want to hear them all. The, the, the most in, this is the most injured I've seen a Buffalo Bills team under Sean McDermott. I mean, we're looking at our, last week our center missed the game. We're already missing our all-pro corner, Trey White. We lost our CB2 from last year, Dane Jackson, to a neck injury, so he's out. Last week we started two rookies at outside corner. And then we had two, like a fourth year player and a second year player, neither of whom had more than a single start to their NFL credit. We started them against the Miami Dolphins. And then one of our rookie corners broke his hand. So I don't even know who, who was that. Uh, who, who uh, um, ben, uh, Christian Benford. Okay. So he now has a broken hand and he had surgery today and he's not going to be available for a couple of weeks. So right now, I don't even know what our room is going to look like on Sunday. If you want to talk about key injuries, pick your poison. I mean, our offensive line is beat up. Our center missed the last game. You, <laughs> it's it really is just kind of a pick. You throw a dart and you'll throw a dart. You'll find an injury that probably matters. Well, you still got your left tackle, and we'll go through the Ravens yes. on on your show when we do the reciprocal. So we'll talk a little bit about just where the Ravens are there, and that's uh, it's not pretty. Kyrie Elam was a guy I was really interested in getting, and the Ravens getting during the draft. How's he playing so far? 
Kyrie Elam is fresh off his first NFL start and maybe the best game I've seen from a rookie in a Bills uniform at cornerback in a long, long time. They just tasked him with going out there and covering uh, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, um, a, a number of threats. You guys know better than most people. Those Miami receivers, if you can give their yeah. quarterback time, he, they make plays. They basically forced everything short and into the middle of the field because you couldn't get to the boundaries against these guys. Elam is sticky. He's, mm -hmm. again, he's one of those players who if you're just watching the box score, you don't see anything of note really because you see he didn't have any PBUs. He didn't have any interceptions. He didn't have many tackles. That's because he, he's been, when he's on the field, he takes other receivers, he takes receivers away. And quarterbacks go, you know what? I can find a better matchup somewhere else. That's an island cornerback play. You definitely love to see that. Uh, just just as an offhand note, Kyrie Elam was a guy I really wanted for the Ravens, and they could have had him and a center late. Instead, they went for uh, Linderbaum early, who just had his first great game in week three, and uh, and got their two cornerbacks late in the fourth round. But they could have reversed that and maybe got Zach Tom of Wake Forest. I don't know if you, you followed him at all during the draft, but he was a guy I liked to, to move from tackle to center at the NFL level because he's, he's – uh, uh, not got ideal size for tackle. <laughs> let's put it that way. I was say, anyway, if he's playing center. He's got to be short. A, a, a short, short arm usually is yes. the is the problem that kicks you inside. So yeah, uh, the uh, any, anyway the the it'll be fun to watch that play out over the next four or five years in terms of who really made the right choice in the draft pick because the Ravens had the pick they traded back to to uh, pick up some extra loose change and uh, and the Bills then at number twenty three got Elam and and uh, and that was that. Anyway, I, I uh, long run cap situation. Obviously, the Bills are making a run at it right now with uh, a big contract now uh, that's starting to mature. I guess with uh, with Allen and obviously Von Miller's deal. So long term cap situation is going to be it's going to be tough because you've now paid a quarterback, and this is something that Ravens fans are kind of. This is something we're going to talk about on my show. I can't wait for it. But this is something Ravens fans I I've already seen conflict among the fan base conflict, just this, do you want to, do you think that this roster is a finished enough product to go ahead and pay that quarterback and let's go win a Super Bowl, Or do we think that we need to maybe franchise tag him and build the roster more or do there's a lot up in the air for the Ravens. Well, the bills are already there. We already wrote the check. And the problem is, is that you can see the effect that it's already having on the roster because there were some places that we did have to play cheap. Now, luckily mm -hmm. for us, the secondary has been all of these guys who are in our secondary as depth were drafted and they've been here for mm -hmm. a couple of years. So, or at least they were handpicked. They were rookies in this draft class that our GM said, I want that guy because I think my coach can coach him up. They've been mostly right. And they've been mostly hits. You see that we just held the dolphins to under like 240 total yards. That's an accomplishment for a group of basically uh, you played a whole backup secondary. <laughs> you played a whole secondary full of players who should be your backups. You're going to need that though. Then you look at the offensive line and you go, you paid Roger Saffold $8 million a year. Mm -hmm. That's not bearing fruit. You got Ryan Bates who just got concussed, who before that wasn't eh. your offensive linemen are starting to look at, you're realizing that your depth there is thin. The guys you can turn to in case of an injury you didn't have any money to invest in quality backups. So you just paid cheap guys and hoped you could coach them up. And so far that hasn't worked. You're seeing the trickle down effect of the long-term cap situation. It's like, this is going to be a struggle. We're going to have to draft. Well, 
We're going to have to draft well in some places that we haven't yet, like the offensive line. We're going to have to hit on some things that we haven't in order to keep this team inside of this competitive window. I mean, being made a point of getting uh, Dawson Knox's deal done. Now, you as a fan of the Ravens know what it's like to get a star tight end or at least a highly productive one under contract early rather than mm-hmm. late. Because then you watch guys like you're going to watch guys like David and Joe. <laughs> All I can tell you is stop your whining. You got Allen on an early yeah. contract and <laughs> you know we're, we're now struggling so to now get the fifth contract after that. with Jackson. That's it. That's what I, I guess I'm to, to make this all short. It's not the greatest cap situation long term. They did get some extensions done to try to alleviate some things now. And they've got some things they're going to have to answer for in the future. Tremaine Edmonds is going to come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have to choose probably between him and Ed Oliver. So it's going to be on mm-hmm. whoever's more available and whoever has the better season, I think is probably in line to get paid. But you've got that quarterback. And if you have that quarterback, you can make do with a lot of these other things. Yeah, we're, we're definitely finding that out this season here in Baltimore. Uh, in terms of key contract situations, is there anybody who is a year three player who they might want to lock up early on that was a, a second or later draft pick that they might want to lock up early on a multi-year deal. To be honest, I think that they've got they've gotten themselves in a good position that way because their team is either young or old. There's none of this middling kind of hey we might have to do this guy early or hey you've literally either got guys who are coming up on the end of their deals, mm-hmm. you've got guys who are coming up on the end of their careers. You know, the Jordan Poyer thing this off season. They, they basically told Drew Rosenhaus, look, <laughs> we know you're a fierce negotiator. It's just not in the cards for us to sign a long-term deal for a 32-year-old safety. That's not in the cards. He will get paid, just not by us this year. We'll give him incentives. We'll do things to make it worth his while. But at the we can't do this. Not now. So you've got this great mix of old and kind of, hey, we're not paying anymore for these. This is their run. Then you've got guys who are entering that fifth year window. We've already picked up the option on Tremaine Edmonds. We're go. We've already picked up the option on Ed Oliver. So they're going to be here. Oliver's Edmonds is going to play in his fifth year this year, and they can make the decision what to do with him in the offseason. Everybody else is so young they don't have to. They just say, look, we we have these handful of contracts, and outside of that, nothing matters. <laughs> and as guys fall off the cap, we can build our depth, kind of as we have just hoping we can find gems off the scrap heap. So Edmund's an interesting player and, and certainly someone I really liked in the draft, but the, the, the got to number 16 in 2018. You guys already know who I'm going to talk about. Derwin James was on the board. Yep. I really wanted the Ravens to draft him, was banging the table like crazy. The Ravens, of course, trade down twice. They end up with Hurst. The guy the Bills got at 17, right? 17, I think. I, no, it might have been at 16. He was at 16. Yeah, yeah they, they draft Tremaine Edmonds. Yep. Uh, a very tall, uh, lengthy inside linebacker who is is really coming into his own this year, at least. Don't ask me. Been, wait, don't say that in front of a Bills fan. That, that he was good last it's year. It's one of the craziest things. It, it's one of the sick <laughs> things about our fan base is we latch on to narratives and we won't let them go. <laughs> There's this narrative that exists amongst Bills fans that Tremaine Edmonds is overrated, that he's not good, that he he doesn't make enough splash plays as I throw air quotes into the into outer space. He doesn't make enough splash plays and that he's not worth re-signing. Meanwhile, he's been to two Pro Bowls and he's still one of the youngest players in the NFL. And at six foot five, 
he's an athletic freak who can cover slot receivers. But no, 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 no. Continue to tell me about how he, his tackle for loss numbers aren't very good. <laughs> like that's here for some reason we vilified him and I don't understand it. So it, <laughs> I, I can maybe commiserate. I mean, Patrick Queen has a well-deserved poor reputation. In some ways, they are somewhat similar players who had a lot of coverage um, inconsistency. Uh, Edmonds has the length if he had the the real smarts to look between level two and level three and figure out what's going on. And that's I, I'm constantly reminded by friends here in Baltimore that that's one of the latest things you learn as a linebacker. But it looks like Edmonds might be turning the corner on this. I was actually mildly surprised the Bills did go spring for the fifth year option when they did. But very young players you mentioned still is not 25 years old, <laughs> and he's in his fifth NFL How season. Crazy which is incredible. That? He yeah. took his, his first season at 19. at 19. Was he was he 19 when he was drafted? He was 19 when he was drafted. Wow, unbelievable. He's got to be one yeah, of the It was like guys, yeah. it was something crazy because I remember thinking to myself, he can't legally buy a beer. Wow. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the offense here. Uh, talk about Josh Allen. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we are a try and make ourselves into the NPR of podcasts here. We're Blue Wire friends and whatnot. But I'm sure we've also got, got some pretty strong feelings about how who's better in the Allen uh, uh, Jackson conversation. And we'll have another chance to hopefully enjoy great football from both quarterbacks this year. It's one of the crazier things when you think about it, uh, Ken. You take a look at the quarterbacks from that draft class. Baker Mayfield goes number one. Eh. The Jets trade ahead of <laughs> Buffalo knowing that the Bills are going to take a quarterback, and they take Sam Darnold. Yep. Just, so then you go so, – so here's Brandon Bean who's frantically trying to trade up, and he goes to the – because he wanted the Giants pick, and the Giants said, whoa, 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 no, we need this running back. <laughs> and then the Broncos were going to trade, and then they said, whoa, 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 we have to have – this outside linebacker we can't give up this pick and finally tampa gives us their pick and we're like thank god thank god we're gonna we're gonna get a quarterback now everyone here is screaming for josh rosen yes yes take josh rosen please (laughs) (laughs) and by everyone here i mean me me at a destination wedding in jamaica i'm screaming for (laughs) screaming for for josh rosen and when it doesn't happen I drank wait I'll tell you what I drank so much so quickly that I didn't know we drafted Tremaine Edmonds until the next day. That's hmm. from pick 7 to pick 16. That's how emotional I got about it. Now it's funny seeing that he was picked that late and that so many teams passed on him and then Lamar Jackson just kind of quietly fell to you guys. Hmm. Like that was one of the crazier things now when you look at it in hindsight and you go Baker Mayfield is not with the team that drafted him number one overall. Mm-hmm. Sam Darnold probably isn't any more either. than a backup in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. Josh Rosen, he's <laughs> same thing. <laughs> I mean, we were joking about it. We were like, if, if the NFL playing quarterback is living in a high rise and there's various floors where you could be, where being the backup quarterback on the Browns is like being in the basement. Like that's like you have a basement apartment with no windows. <laughs> so it's it's crazy that the ravens and bills somehow got the two best quarterbacks out of that class and two legitimate franchise altering talents yeah they had to trade back in to get it so it didn't it wasn't just a freebie it was it was really some magic he worked in that last draft and we're uh we're very happy we talked about that on the on the ravens show Mm -hmm. so uh, alan himself in terms of what you're seeing from him that's different as a passer, what, what has he brought new to the game this year? I think the best thing about him this year is just the way his vision has changed. 
you know, in the past we used to talk, we would joke about it here and call him sugar high Josh, because he just runs around like a little kid who just ate five pixie sticks and you could watch him in football games, just <laughs> throwing to double covered fullbacks. You go, what are you doing? You, you lunatic. That's not, <laughs> he just wants to win and he thinks he can make every throw. He has that arm arrogance. Well, this year, his field vision might be the best it's ever been, which is a dangerous combination when you look at his physical skill set against Tennessee. It was you know on Monday Night Football, the thing that surprised everyone here, not surprised everyone, but the thing that made him so dangerous and kind of gave us what we had against them was that he could get to the line of scrimmage, set up and just at the snap of a finger properly diagnose the defense as they were aligned and figure out within a couple seconds where the weakness was call an audible call a shift call a change and then get the ball out i mean one of the craziest things so they ran a lot of rpo in that game and out of that he would find every single time they were playing off coverage on stefan diggs he would call an audible and he'd throw a short pass, just a short, they call the, what is that, free access, I believe is the term you use for that, out of the RPO. It's just a free access. And he throws him the ball two yards from the line of scrimmage, knowing that Stefan Diggs is going to generate four to five yards on this mm-hmm. play. That's better than any rushing attempt. I'll just check out of this and immediately go to a quick throw. If you're going to come down on the line of scrimmage, now I'll fake the handoff and see what develops, and we'll see if I stick it in his breadbasket or if I pull it out and throw it. But his ability to just pick up on that and just abuse a defense with that made up for our lack of rushing success. I mean, you think about this. Five minutes left in the second quarter of that Monday Night Football game to about six minutes left in the third quarter. So it's about, what, uh, five minutes plus another nine minutes of football. They went almost 14-some-odd minutes of clock throwing 21 consecutive passes and not running the ball once, and they scored 17 points during it. Huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's confidence there. In terms of of the mesh point, is he he goes fully into the mesh point on a lot of plays to then come out and pass because that's something Jackson really has still not done in his career too much. In that game, you could watch him do it, and then this past week against Miami for what? And I have I have a conspiracy theory that we talked about in this week's uh, Bills Dolphins game recap, which I'm sure if you know us, there was a lot of beer. There's a lot of booze involved with that one because that was a tough loss to swallow. They got away from that. They got away from the RPO concepts that just worked wonderfully for them on primetime TV. And But part of it was because the Dolphins sometimes crowded the cornerbacks at the line. And I don't know if they just thought, I think I have this conspiracy theory that by design, they said, listen, our defense is so beleaguered right now with injuries that the best course of action is to dink and dunk, take our time, run as many plays as we can, win the time of possession battle, don't expose your defense to much, and see if you can score enough points to win this game. Eat as much clock as possible. So they got away from these quick strike kind of plays that get you down the field and get points very quickly. And instead, they kind of started deferring to running backs and fullbacks in the passing game, backup tight ends. And again, you... But in that game, when they do run those RPO concepts, he gets all the way to the mesh point, and then you mm-hmm. watch him make his decision then and there, and it's in a matter of seconds. It's wild to see. So uh, one thing I was noticing about about Allen's stats are that his passes are significantly shorter this year. His average pass is significantly shorter, whereas Jackson is really throwing the ball down the field pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that's interesting because it's, it's certainly something I associate with Jackson in the past. And, you know, when you're comparing Jackson and, uh, sorry, Allen and players associate with Allen in the past. I don't know if I said that right. But anyway, you certainly have a set of receivers to throw a lot of long balls. The Ravens have less of that or making do with a bunch of tight ends and some of the heaviest formations you'll ever see. But you're, you'll, th- this is a little strange to me that Josh Allen, when the Bills are playing probably, what, 85%, 11 personnel now? Yeah. No, it's up there. And the cra- well, but here's why. I think, like I said, I think that that game, because when I looked at those numbers, I said, okay, this is this almost feels intentional then because the first two weeks showed you you can throw the ball downfield on teams. Through the first two weeks, we got our share of downfield passes, and yet you know who Gabe Davis is. Gabe Davis was catching 75-yard touchdown passes in the divisional playoffs just a, just not even a full calendar year ago. We know Stefan Diggs can work guys down the field and that his route running burns a lot of cornerbacks and good safeties. Dawson Knox really has kind of been a non-factor in our offense through the first three weeks. They haven't taken a lot of the downfield stuff. Instead, it seems like they're kind of just letting defenses sit back and saying, okay, we want to now put on tape that we can work the intermediate, that we can do the short stuff because we believe we have the personnel to make that work for us too. Because last year, teams came out and hit us with cover, uh, the with you know they played like cover two, mm-hmm. they played a shell, two deep safeties, and you could see the detrimental effect it had on Josh's passing. From 2020, where no one expected the downfield attack, to 2021, where everyone said, okay, fine, we're going we're gonna to work really hard to keep you in front of us. He slowed down a little bit early. Later, he turned it up, and come the playoffs, he was just unstoppable. But it was a like a 10- to 12-week matriculation process. I think what they're trying to put on tape and what their, their focus was early was we know our quarterback can throw the ball downfield. If there's a broken coverage, if there's something down there, he can go get it. We need to make teams come out of these formations and start to come back down into the box with their safeties. So we're going to have a James Cook. We're going to throw more to fullbacks. We're going to use the second tight end. We're going to do all of these things to bring you down to us. And we're still going to try to win doing All right. Outstanding stuff on Alan. We have to move a little quicker, and I apologize for, for hurrying you up here. But wide receiver core, take us through that right now. Oh, the wide receiver core. So Stephon Diggs is one of the best man coverage wide receivers in football. He really is. And the statistics bear that out. He's he's shifty. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the biggest guy. He's one of the best route runners in football. And so with that, it's hard for anyone but the best to cover him. Now, that sucks going up against a team like you guys because Marcus Peters exists. That's a thing I have to deal with in my life. I'll never forget you guys running cover zero against us. It was 2019. It was the final yep. play of the game. And there's John Brown streaking on a post route. And he's about to haul in the game-winning touchdown reception and Marcus Peters just very casually swats it away like mm-hmm. he's so good that they trusted him with cover zero in that moment and said listen let's rattle Allen we're not going to let him stand here and wait for a busted coverage or something like that that was then this is now we now have Stefan Diggs who Marcus Peters very well may still take away I mean he's an elite cornerback on the other side now what we have is a Gabe Davis who at six foot four 230 pounds almost and with some foot speed and just giant catch radius, he's a mismatch. You saw that in that Rams game where they tried to play him a couple different ways, and it, none of right. it worked. They tried to play off coverage, and he just cut in front of their faces and boxed him out like basketball. 
Then they tried to man up on him and he just outsized the guy on the sideline. And then in some cases, when they didn't account for him, he burned the cornerback and ran straight past him. He's going to be a problem. In this game, I, I believe that given the fact that you only have one Marcus Peters, I think he's going to be a problem for your team. Then you go down and you go, when you guys do blitz, we have two different receivers in Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie, who work very well over the middle. McKenzie's the more explosive of the two. Crowder's more there just to kind of, he, he plays a savvy, zone-sensitive kind of a game where he can feel his zone and he can settle in and get a good five, six-yard route. McKenzie can take a ball that's three yards from the line of scrimmage and turn it into nine, turn it into 10, turn it into 12. If you give him a 10-yard route, he can make it 15. That's going to be dangerous for a team that blitzes as much as the Ravens do. I think he is their blitz beater. He's their hot route. So you hope, like, that's what our wide receiver core currently looks like. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that that's enough. Now that's it, That'll be interesting. I one of the things I did in looking up the the snap by snap, which by the way, NFL Faster is publishing that every every game with participation by play. You you take a look at yep. it out there. Anyway, so so you can see who's uh, who's on the field by play in terms of of personnel and whether out a shotgun or whatnot. But uh, with with the eleven personnel being so prevalent, the Ravens have a tough time fielding a good third corner. They've got Marlon Humphrey and they've got Marcus Peters, and they're outstanding. And they're they're even better if you can keep them on the boundary and bring in a slot corner. I think they have the right guy for slot right now, but the Bills are scare me a lot, not because they could put 11 on the field because everybody does that, but they scare me a lot because they can put 10 on the field. And when if they if they do that, if they use some four receiver sets, and this is more prevalent in what I think of maybe is the 19 and 20 Bills is doing more. Yes. Of, yeah, we saw uh, more, then, t- more four wide receiver sets then. They went heavy 11 last year and the year before. Like, it, yeah. Yeah, I want to say that they, they went heavier with just 11, pure 11 personnel last year. I'm interested to see if they don't open up that a little bit for this game, specifically knowing some of the deficiencies you guys have in that cornerback room. Right. So the, the, the player who I think the onus will be on, I think they may go to a uh, third safety um, in those situations, play a 3-3 play a three, three dime. And and then it might be Kyle Hamilton put on Gabe Davis in the slot because he's a big physical player, six four, also very long arms, can push him around a little bit off the line of scrimmage, hopefully, mm-hmm. and and uh, and that'll be a fun matchup to watch if it happens. And if if they if the Bills truly force the Ravens to put four cornerbacks on the field, that exposes a very big weakness for this team. So, anyway, let's move on. Running backs, useful fullback. Uh, what do they do? Well, first of all, running backs are a sore spot for Buffalo. I had a meltdown about it during our Miami recap. Um, <laughs> I might have said some unkind things about our GM. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember, though. <laughs> Singletary is okay, but he's not special. Moss is a highly ineffective runner. <laughs> he's a great, he's the best pass protector on our roster. He had one big run in the Miami game. But leading up to that, the reason he wasn't on the field for more of those attempts is because his first three carries went for a combined seven yards. Like, you can't have that. He's highly inefficient. And Cook is a rookie that you can tell they just don't trust. It started with his game-opening fumble in, in L.A. And Sean McDermott never trusts rookies. He just doesn't have that level of comfortable comfortability with them. So when you look at that group, they're they're incredibly average, and it's a shame because there's so much meat on the bone given how good Allen is at passing the ball that you know, I go back to all we need is a James to die 
from back when Peyton, Peyton Manning was lighting the world on fire. But the year they won the Super Bowl was because their running backs, Dominic Rhodes and Joseph Adai, were killing everybody because they'd clear the box out. The Bills still haven't found that yet. And in terms of fullback usage, I'll tell you this. I'm actually excited because Reggie Gilliam is a legitimate part of the offense. I, I, I believe, you know, you know what he's using the red zone as a short area threat. He's got a little yards after the catch. He's seeing a decent number of receptions through three games. I'm just used to seeing a team, the, the, the 15, 16, 17 Bills, who would go out and get guys like uh, Pro Bowler uh, Jerome Felton, Pro Bowler Patrick DeMarco, and bring them in as a fullback, and then you'd never hear from them again. Like That's it. They, they were special teamers, and then they were gone. Now we have a fullback, and we're actually utilizing him as part of the short passing game that they're trying to work trying to threaten other teams with. And I, I like that. You know, it's finally being weaponized, especially in the red zone. That does make our team a little bit harder to defend. Okay. So it looks like they use a fullback on maybe, maybe over 25% of plays. So I might've been too high on the 11. It might be only 70 or 75%. Um, use two tight ends ever. Um, not really because realistically, who is their second tight end? It's, <laughs> And Sweeney. you look at a roster and he's it's what what you're left with is a is a tight end depth chart. There's a guy named Tommy Sweeney who almost never sees the field. Uh the there was a uh Quentin Morris had a good pass this weekend. He had a good reception, catch and run. Really realistically, tight end two has never been much of anything in the Bills offensive attack. And that's why I was saying this offseason when we picked up O.J. Howard and people were complaining he looked slow in training camp. So what do you want? We've never had a meaningful tight end to. I don't care. And then we cut him, which was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. You paid the guy three and a half million dollars guaranteed for a <laughs> for showing up for camp. And now he's mm. playing for Cincinnati. It's wild. That is weird. Hey, where are the bills in terms of cap space for the season, by the way? Uh, I think they just restructured a contract here a week or so ago to open up a little more room. Mm -hmm. I think they're, t they're pretty tied up against it. I, I don't right. know offhand if you force me to go look it up. No, that's, that's okay. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll but hit it on tight. the next show. Uh, remind me they're to tight. remind yourself, or I'll try to remind you to hit me up on the cap situation. Cause it's a, it's really ugly in Baltimore. Okay. So we're probably, um, we're probably kindred spirits in that way. Not even close when it gets down to, you know, it's it's like you want to tell me about your problem before I'm done telling you about my problem. That's the kind of situation we have with like two sisters telling each other their problems here or something. But it's really it's a it's a, the, the Ravens have no restructure room and they're out of money. So it's a, it's it's like the double whammy of of bad things. All right. Uh, how do you expect the, the, the Bills to attack the Ravens maybe in terms of personnel groupings, but also, you know, where will they go with the football uh, in the passing game? In the passing game, well, if you're talking about where they're going to throw it, I think it's going to depend on what you guys do. Because that's been Allen's thing this year. It's just, I'm going to try to do what the defense, I'm going to go where they're not. He's trying to avoid turnovers at all costs, especially after that first game. You know, after that first game, when you, and I say, and as I say that, I'm picturing the ball bouncing off uh, Javon Holland's face mask at the end of that Miami game because there was a ball he threw up. It's going to depend on down distance and how desperate you've made Josh Allen. <laughs> it's because this is what you get. It's, it's one of the things we love about him. And it's also one of the things we hate about him. Smart Josh Allen. When the game is scratch, 
or everything at least feels within reach. Smart Josh Allen is just going to be calm. He's going to stay the course. He's going to say, listen, I'll dink and dunk. I'll take this running back for five yards. I'll take my fullback for another three. I'll look for a tight end who's maybe only going to get me four, but he's going to fight for that first down, and it's going to be enough to move the chains. I'll look for digs when you leave him wide open. And if he's beaten his man, yeah, sometimes we're going to call a deep in and I'm going to hit him there just to just to back your safeties off a little bit so I can keep working down the field. But then when the score starts to get away or if you're putting too much heat under him or or if he's just feeling desperate, you'll watch him fireballs into triple coverage. Why? Because he believes he can thread the needle on that throw and he doesn't care what you do. There was a pass towards the end of that Miami game that he sailed into double coverage with a safety over the top. And that safety came flying in and the ball hit him square in the face. And if it wasn't for that, the game would have ended right there. There wouldn't have been a a botched third down or trying to get the field goal snap off and you couldn't do it. That never would have happened because he would have thrown the game ceiling pick right there. Josh is still highly emotional. And so it's uh, where he goes with the football is going to depend on a, what your coverage is and B how desperate you've made him feel over the course of the last 20 minutes of game. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's good to hear. I'm actually liking what I hear. Cause we'll talk about what the Ravens do well on the other side of the show. But one of the things they like to do is look into the backfield. Uh, they played a very big unforced errors game so far this year, trying to sit back and wait for picks. I, Allen is a different kind of cat. So we'll see if if uh, if he can do it. It didn't work against Tua either, um, as the game went on, which is one of the utter betrayals of of all time in terms of what is. Well, I'll get into that later on your show. Uh, let's talk defensive scheme here. So the first thing I always like to ask when I'm talking defense with with uh, a guest is, what's the most common base and pass defense look they'll show? So what do they do when they're expecting the run? What do they do when it's an obvious passing down? Okay, so if it's an obvious passing down. And you guys are lined up in a four-receiver set. Nickel. If it's a not obvious passing down, you guys line up with three wide receivers. Nickel. Mm -hmm. If it's a (laughs) early rushing down and you guys are showing a heavy set. Nickel. (laughs) Okay. So committed two outside linebacker, two inside linebacker nickel team. So I'll say it like this. You look at our snap count. Our linebacker duo leads the entire team in snaps at this point. And uh, Teron Johnson, our nickel cornerback is third. (laughs) Those three guys are on the field for more snaps than anyone else in a bill's uniform. We are a nickel defense. And the reason being is that even when teams try to contract the line of scrimmage, because they think, okay, we'll run with a little bit. We'll get some bigger bodies out there. We'll try to run with power with the, our team genuinely believes and they've drafted the defensive backs that they think allow them to play a type of football where you think you're going to win with size. I'll beat you with speed. Our guys will get to the ball, but they're all sure tacklers and they're going to hit. They're going to bring the lumber for how small they might be. And by and large, it works. I mean, you saw us hold Travis, uh, Derek Henry to almost, I saw almost to Travis Henry. I took him back to the bills and, uh, mm-hmm. late nineties, early two thousands teams. Uh, Derrick Henry had no rushing yards in that game to speak of. They played primarily in nickel. Why? Because they believe that they have the defensive backs that even when you load up outside of the red zone, you know, when you get them in the red zone, they'll bring in Shaq Lawson. They'll allow him to play some snaps, almost like a Sam linebacker, like a four, three overlook or a four, three underlook, depending on whether you're rushing off the weak side or the strong side, but they'll, 
by and large, between the 20s, you're going to see primarily nickel coverage because they believe that their safeties and their linebackers can account for whatever size you bring to the line. That's, I, I will look for that. But I am. I, I did check out the snap counts, as you said, and Teron Johnson is right up there, very close to uh, Milano, and uh, it looks like Milano and Edmonds basically played the same snaps and were maybe bit replaced at the same point in one game for twelve snaps. Yes, the end of the okay. uh, Monday Night Football game when it was forty-one to seven, and I think they realized, hey, well, Milano got a stinger, and I think that scared the hell out of the coaches, and they were like, all okay. right, get Tremaine <laughs> out of there. We don't need this. It's forty-one-seven. There's no comeback. All right, that is uh, that is relatively remarkable that that would uh, that would happen that you're you're third. So I know you guys have had some injuries at cornerback, which has probably led to other cornerbacks not playing a lot of snaps, and that's true at safety also because safety is a position where you usually have the same guys playing all the snaps. That's realistically the biggest injury for me is uh, losing Micah Hyde because Micah Hyde allowed us to get away with a lot. He was he's one of the best deep ball safeties in football. And so what that allowed us to do is play a cover two look that immediately became cover one. And he, you know, Poyer would drop down into the box and take away a tight end or take away a shallow crossing route that a quarterback legitimately thought was going to be there. Or worse, if you're the Ravens, you guys have probably gotten used to seeing this. You go, why doesn't Lamar have a ton of rushing yards against the Buffalo Bills? Well, it's because that those looks that look like they're open and it seems like he has an escape route, all of a sudden the defense shifts post-snap, and he goes, wait a minute, okay, I had a read and I had a second read, and I thought I could take off. Now I can't take off this. There's no escape route. Now I have to reassess where I was going to go, and by then your processing's thrown off. Now your timing's off. Your receivers are already in their routes. Stuff like that we could get away with because of Micah Hyde. Him not being here scares me for that. Because and obviously our defensive coordinators came up with a really sound game plan for this Miami game. And our safeties had a couple gaffes. You know, I think uh, Jermaine, uh, Johnson, the safety, I'm going to get his first name on Jaquan Johnson. He had a rough game. They targeted him quite a bit. He was essentially playing the backup role to Micah Hyde. And they got him a little bit. He still had a good game. He still kept things in front of him. But he wasn't he didn't allow us to do a lot of the things that we've historically done with our safeties. So I think the biggest injury is going to be that one, just missing Micah Hyde for the season, especially in a game like this, where I think they're going to be a little bit more conservative with, with the way they use Jordan Poyer because of that injury. And also because of Johnson's performance last week. So Poyer, Poyer, the game he missed was which game of the season last week against Miami. Okay. But he's expected back. Well, we'll see. It's it's okay. early and our coach doesn't like doesn't like to tell anybody anything. It's, it's everybody's coach. It's, Listen, that's a good coach. <laughs> we actually started. We have a YouTube channel and we have a bunch of videos up there that I don't go watch them, please. If you're listening to this, it's, it's almost borderline embarrassing, <laughs> but I'm sure I'll be back there again someday. We built a podium and got a backdrop and started doing our own press conferences after <laughs> drunken press conferences where I would answer people's questions because our coach wasn't he wasn't going to. So I would answer the questions like I was Sean McDermott, and it was Did, just, it was wild. It's That's a fantastic idea, Drew, and I could just see you doing that. So you have one panel where McDermott answers the question, then you answer the question like him? Or well, it was one you- of those things where we have people, so Chris would be listening to the audio, and he'd pull a couple of the actual reporter questions, and then we'd be on Periscope, so we'd have viewers watching and like launching questions, or we'd have people going, 
hey, my neighbor leaning over the fence to yell questions at me. I'm like, hey, there's drunk Todd from over the fence. What's your question? Yeah, I got your answer. And it, it was bad. I mean, at one point I fell off the podium and chipped my elbow. Like it, it was just, <laughs> it's what you would expect from a drunk, a drunken Buffalo Bills fan. Still, obviously, playing him down, his actual knowledge of football here, Drew Geyer, thank you. Thank you for doing that. But let's uh, let's keep going yep. here. I want to talk about the defensive line a little bit. I'm always interested in the amount of rotation a team can do on the defensive line, particularly against the Ravens, who so far this year haven't beaten, beaten the snap count on anybody, but they still scored a lot of points. So they, they've really changed the nature of the offense from about three years ago. But but to talk about a little bit about how they rotate on that defensive line. True platoonish approach. I mean, it's, you know, we, we remarked ahead of week one against the Rams that one of the biggest downfalls of the Rams, they allow, they were, what were they? They were top five in fourth quarter scoring allowed last year, the LA Rams. And part of that's because they only have three players who play more than 60% of their snaps. Mm-hmm. That's not sustainable for four quarters. So it makes sense that your pass rush probably slows down considerably late in the game and that your run presence probably wears down a little bit. Well, the Buffalo Bills don't have that problem. Uh, they, they have a true platoon approach. You know, Von Miller's been out there a lot, but I think he's coming in around 68%, I want to say. And then Greg Rousseau is just behind him and everybody else just mixes in 30% of the time. And mm-hmm. so obviously they've ID'd those two as these are our starters, but that's because they are two of individually. I said this when we signed Von Miller, Greg Rousseau finished with the most solo run stops in football last year for a defensive end or any edge wow. player. So, you come, you pair that his size and his length and his growing pass rush ability with Von Miller, who finished in the top three for solo run stops for edge players. And you say, okay, these are our early down guys who they trust to pass rush and also play the run soundly. And then everybody else just mixes in down after down. They can kind of base who they want out there on distance. So they really do keep these guys fresh into the fourth quarter. And we are the seventh best fourth quarter team against and we pitched shutouts in the second half of both week one and week two. In the second half of games, nobody, I think Miami scored three points in the second half. This uh, three or I want to say that that feels right. They, they won 21, 21, 17, 17, right? 17, three three so we've allowed 10 second half points altogether this season. That's a testament to what our defensive line does and how disruptive they can be to an opposing offense. Once once things get into deep water. All right. Very cool stuff. Now, in terms of pass rush scheme, do they bring a lot of numbers? Do they stunt? Do they bring guys from offline of scrimmage? Yes. See, so this okay. is it because they're hell bent, especially now with our cornerback situation. You almost can't afford to blitz. They don't want to blitz the linebackers because they feel like the linebackers are a boon to the safeties and to the cornerbacks mm-hmm. out there in coverage because they're both elite athletic specimens. Milano. Edmonds, they can cover so much ground. Uh, uh, Brett Coleman of the Film Room over on YouTube always talks about how much he loves watching Matt Milano play because he goes, I've never seen a, a linebacker be able to sit so so deep in the box and then come downhill, pick the right hole and run Phil and not be a liability. He picks, he, he's cerebral, but he's athletic. Edmonds is just big, big wingspan. He's he's intimidating to try to throw at just because of his sheer size and his range. So they're a boon to this young 
group of defensive backs. And so in that way, they haven't really blitzed a ton. They pick their spots. They'll send a safety blitz now and again. That's usually what, if they're going to send a defensive back, it's almost always the safety from what I've seen. But outside of that, it's just the front four. And they just trust that front four to get there. And the way they do it is that there's twists and stunts. You know, this past week, Greg Rousseau got a sack. Part of it was because they ran a stunt right up front. He comes, you know, he wraps around and comes right down Main Street, blows past the center, and he's so big that Tua isn't going to try to throw it over him. <laughs> he just can't. He's six foot six. With his arms up, that's a that's imposing. Now, your quarterback might be able to run away from that. But they really do use a lot of gamesmanship on the defensive line to generate that pressure. All right. I, I did want to get back to Matt Milano, one of the best coverage inside linebackers, certainly in the entire game. But if if Ravens fans really want to feel bad about what we've got at inside linebacker and coverage, you listen to me or look at Matt Milano's career NFL passer rating against of 83. That's just unbelievably good. For, for anybody at this point, you'd, you'd love your cornerbacks to have that kind of a rating. But for an inside linebacker to, to have that kind of a, a passer rating against is truly remarkable. So, uh, yuck. <laughs> All right. uh, uh, let's talk about the secondary a little bit. So you, you, we've, we've painted a picture of a secondary that obviously is very injured. So at safety, if Poyer doesn't go, who would be the two starting safeties? Quan Johnson and Damar Hamlin. Damar Hamlin's going to play more of a strong safety role. He's a, he's a hitter. He, he will lay wood. He covered well this past week. He did what was asked of him. Jaquan Johnson is kind of finding his way. He's a, the thing that they, the bills like about their like to have in safeties is you need to be an athlete first. And they think that they can teach you the game of football second, because Leslie Frazier, former cornerback, Sean McDermott, former safety, their resume bears it out that they can coach these kids up, and they've they've been doing it throughout between the two of them. Wherever they've been coaches, good defensive back play has followed. So it makes sense that these kids who have been here for a year or two now and been groomed by these guys as coaches are pretty set to take the field in the NFL and not look like look like first timers. You know, they, they seem pretty seasoned already. It's why guys like Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam can take the field and not look lost is rookies playing outside together. And so in that way, like I look at Kyrie Lum and I say, you've got a sticky cornerback who's, he's got some elite physical traits. He's still putting it together. Recognition wise between the ears. Mm-hmm. He's still growing. He's figuring out how to trust what his, what is, what he sees and kind of grow his own instincts at the NFL level. He's getting there, but they're still pretty sharp already. Most cornerbacks, quarterbacks haven't targeted him much, which tells you his coverage is probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. You're going to, I don't know if you're going to have Dane Jackson back. I don't know who our outside, that, that's how crazy this is. I don't know who our outside cornerback is going to be on the other side from. It's wild. Oh. Uh, right now we're hosting Xavier Rhodes for a free agent visit. If we sign him, there is a chance that it's a mix of Saran Neal who's basically a safety converted to cornerback, weak side linebacker, slash whatever the heck you want to call him that day. There's a kid named Cam Lewis, who, small school product here in Buffalo, hasn't gotten a ton of run. I don't think they want to put him outside. I think they see him as more of a nickelback. That cornerback two position, who knows what's going to happen this Sunday. 
Mm-hmm. Teron Johnson, you guys know who Teron Johnson is. You remember? Yes, Teron. we know. He's one. Yeah, of, we know. He's one of the most instinctive <laughs> slot corners in the game of football, and and he tackles like a two hundred pounder at one hundred and seventy pounds. And mm-hmm. so it, it's he's a boon to have on your team for games like this. I just I look at this secondary; it's just very green. All right. Well, that's certainly a place where the Ravens are going to have to win because they, they're not they're not going to be able to stop the Buffalo pass rush. I'm fairly sure. Um, how, how would you expect the anything different that they'll do against Jackson and what the Ravens present, particularly as a run game threat? I think they're going to play a lot of zone. I think that's how you beat running quarterbacks is you say, listen, you're not going to get to the second level on me easily. We're going to make you throw into tight windows and we're going to challenge you to stay in the pocket and man the game from there. We're not going to let you rack up 105 rushing yards. We're not doing that. So there's going to be a lot of zone play, but that's going to be harder to orchestrate because we're so thin at quarterback. So they're probably going to mix and match a little bit. They're, They're going to say, listen, Elam, sometimes you're going to have to play man and we'll tell you when and where we'll pick our spots. I don't know. I think that that's been the hallmark of these matchups is just heavy zone defense. Make It's a victory for us if we can keep your quarterback in the pocket. Obviously, okay. zone coverage is the way you go about doing that. I expect that that's going to be the approach. And I also think that that helps keep the rushing attack. You guys are one of the more efficient rushing attacks in football. And so it's we have to find a way to keep that in check. That's the way you do it is by not letting the big play go. So we're going to play a bend-don't-break style of defense, hope that we can basically hope we can force you to make more mistakes than us. It didn't work last week in Miami. <laughs> we made more mm-hmm. mistakes than our opponent, and it cost us in the end. Hopefully this isn't the same type of game. All right. We're looking forward to it. But we don't do score uh, predictions here, but if you could just predict one player you think really presents a matchup problem for the Ravens. Oh, there's one obvious one. One other than Von Miller. Uh, Matt Milano. Matt Milano's my guy. I mean, he has historically spent in these matchups his time covering Mark Andrews. And it's funny when you look at it, he's been doing it without safety help because they want those safeties keeping your quarterback busy. When you look at the stats, this matchup has historically gone Matt Milano's way. Uh, the, the 2019 game, he was targeted three targets against Andrews, one catch for 14 yards. Mm-hmm. Okay. The 2020 divisional game, three targets with Andrews in coverage, one catch for five yards. Mm-hmm. Milano has a knack for covering tight ends, but him and Mark Andrews specifically, I feel like he probably has some confidence coming into this one that I know this guy. I know his tendencies. I kind of know his release moves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on him. I think that Matt Milano just has great games against the Ravens because they ask him to just take away your tight end, and that's what they use as almost an equalizer. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but I expect him to have a good game. All right. All right. That's a good one, by the way. Um, where has Von Miller mostly been rushing from, the offensive left side or the offensive right side? I watched them mix him a lot. At first, he was only the right end going against the left tackle. Mm-hmm. But then last week, because Teron Armstead was there, you watched him rush him against Armstead early, and then slowly over the course of the game, you saw him rotating. And so Von Miller was all of a sudden getting pressure on the Greg Little, who we don't think very much of over here at the Rockball Report. Yeah. We've got some funny bits about Greg Little. I actually, at one point, I was giving out the Greg Little Award for just whoever was just dogging it that week. 
so it's funny to see him starting games. But they would basically move him around to find a weakness. And then one of the caveats to this, too, is about Von Miller, where is he going to go? If they choose to keep him over your left tackle, one of the things you watch them do is you they bring in a boogie bash room. They bring in Greg Rousseau, and they either stunt to get him on your center and guard because it's 6'6", six, six, you know, 270 pounds, and just the length he has, he's a problem because yeah. those guys with the short arms can't get inside on him, and he yeah, bulldozes past them, and now he's in your quarterback's face, and he's flushing them from the pocket, but there's nowhere for them to go because Vaughn's on the outside. They got a couple sacks so far this season that way. They also like to bring in Boogie Basham because he's just got a quick first step and he's kind of a bowling ball of a guy. So I would expect to see your offensive line have to deal with some defensive ends coming down the middle of the offensive line over the course of the game just because they feel like that's this is how we're going to win this game or lose this game. All right. Well, Ravens have been using a lot of motion to try and cover uh, for their weak tackles. And Moses, honestly, not the greatest pack blocker. He hasn't been terrible so far, but they've given him a lot of help. Faalele had two sacks allowed in his first 10 snaps as a professional at left tackle against New England this last week. So uh, if Von Miller's over there, they're going to have to find some ways to deal with that. And uh, and hopefully uh, the Ravens will do that. Um, your your plugs you want to make, let's get those done. Guys, we are the Rock Pal Report. Uh, we do a Bill-centric podcast, but we also do, if you are if you like Schadenfreude, you like drinking beer, and you like joking around with other <laughs> podcasts, there's a little bit of ball busting. We do an AFC East Roundup podcast every week. Uh, we bring in <laughs> podcasters from every other team in our division, and we basically just yuck it up about how well or how poorly the, the teams around the division did. Uh, this week has been tough. We're going to eat a lot of crow when we record ours this week because our Dolphins guest is going to tomahawk slam dunk over the top of us, and it's going to be embarrassing, and I'm going to drink a lot. But with that said, it's a fun time for other people to listen to and kind of get a feel for how things are, not just on other football teams, but in a whole other division amongst a group of podcasters who all just like to talk pretty casually about the game of football. Is this a uh, um, is this does this play on all four of your shows or is it only on on Rockpile Report that this thing is actually played? Oh, meaning yeah. See, see, so you, you have four people that are coming in and doing this show regularly. That'll be on so, the AFC's Roundup show that we do as part of our. So we we release three shows a week: a game okay. recap, a game preview, and an AFC's Roundup. And the okay. Roundup show is the one where we just kind of sit back and let our guests. So we all just kind of enjoy each other's misery over the course of the season. But, <laughs> Well, it's so much fun to talk football with you, Drew. I I, I love hearing your your takes. They are they are uh, uncensored and they are they are outstandingly passionate and and very well grounded too. So I appreciate having you come on and talk football. And I know our our uh, fans have had a lot of good things to say in the past. Tell folks once again where they can find you on Twitter and uh, your show. Our podcast is available on any of the major podcatching apps: your Google Play, I you know iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, I think iHeartRadio. Chris has done a good job of getting us out there on Spotify, I believe. Uh, we're on Twitter at Rockpile Report, and uh, we we actually like mixing it up with Ravens fans. You guys have a. It's funny we we do these, and now we have a bunch of Twitter followers who are from the Ravens fan yeah. base who we interact with on a pretty pretty consistent basis, and they're a lot of fun. You you have a really knowledgeable fan base, and I like that. All right, we'll really appreciate that. Other folks out there, real quick, if you want to do a film study short. 
hit me up on Twitter. Uh, DMs are always open. 25-minute topic is what I'm looking for, something we get into in a lot of depth, so make the topic narrow if we're going to have 25 minutes on it. Analytics topics are great. Passion topics are also great. Love to hear it early. Give us a subscribe out there if you like it and a like. Uh, if you want to give us a review, we'd love to get that too. Drew, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure. He's nodding. I will talk to you next time. No, thanks, for, thanks for having me, Ken. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.